It's so good looking out today. Um, it's like looking at a, a family, you know. But uh, you know what, Michael, aka or Michael Hampton, aka the architect, up from Georgia, taking care of his aunt back in town. It's awesome to see you. Ali and his family coming down from Quakertown area, right? So cool. And then I don't know where Michael went if he's still here or or he's still here. Um, at work, during worship, I'm looking at this 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 this, this man. And I'm like, I know this guy. It's, it's from somewhere. And of course, always with Anna and Ellis with the connections. And so we came up to me. He's like, do you remember like 17 years ago, we were on a mission trip in Argentina. I was like, that was it. And so it's just so cool. It's like a, a nice picture of what heaven's going to be like. You know, all these different people from your past and present and, and those that we haven't met yet in our future are going to be there. It's, it's so, ah, it's just exciting. It's doing my heart well. Amen. All right, so today um, will be a little bit of a different uh, message. Um, if we can go to the first slide, please. Uh, and that's because I'm uh, going to be introducing, <clears throat> introducing a new sermon series, if you will. And uh, those of you who are connected on Facebook kind of know what the sermon series is going to be about. But today is going to be laying down the groundwork of why we should really be embarking on this new uh, series, why we should begin to learn about, well, culture. And so today, like I said, it's going to be a little bit different. And so um, it's really going to be kind of setting the scene for what we're going to be studying these next couple weeks, hopefully stirring the pot of excitement of what we're doing. So what we have here is a sermon series on the culture of heaven. So, we all are born into a culture, but there's also a culture in heaven, and culture is outside of the spirit of the living God. There is no greater force on planet earth than culture. What I mean, it is so powerful, like it is, it is. It it is unbelievable. It dictates what you think, what you believe, your culture, your values, your norms. It is so powerful, culture is. Because it is both seen, which is what most people think of the culture, but then also, culture is also unseen. And so, let's uh, embark on a little journey here. If we go to the, uh, the next slide here, as I bite my cough drop so I can actually talk today. There we go. <clears throat> so this is a culture um, that like uh, sociologists, historians will throw out there. These are the cultures which we see. Um, and we see all this in uh, America. And what's so awesome about uh, this congregation is we see all of those cultures here, right here at Bristol Hope. Uh, we have a Western culture, which is really the dominant culture of America. Uh, that is the extension of the Greco-Roman world. Uh, really dictates how we view certain things, uh, the values of life, government, systems, all of this kind of stuff. Of course, we have an African culture in the United States. We have a Middle Eastern culture. We have an Eastern culture, which would be uh, more of uh, our brothers and sisters and our fellow citizens who are representing, uh, you know, Asia, an Asian society. And of course, our fiery, excitable 
Latinos. Yeah. Now, that right there is a, a stereotype, right? But a positive one. But it's true, too, right? So, you see what I'm getting here is that we have, we have so many different cultures uh, that are on earth. And there are so many different cultures that are actually um, in the body and in this church. And so, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a congregation that is, like, deeply in a different culture. Because here's the thing, uh, even if you are Latino, even if you are African American, even if you are Indian, even if you are this, that, or the other thing, if you've been living in the United States for any length of time, you've adopted some semblance of a combination of these exemplified in American culture, which is largely the culture of the West. But if you've ever walked into an African church, for example, uh, that meets here after services today, and you'd be like, whoa. Where am I? What am I doing? What, what, what's happening? Because there's so many different little cultural uh, norms um, that, that are there. Okay, so what we have here, these, the things that we see, if we go to the next slide, which is going to be a little tough to read, I, I saw. Um, what we have here, are essentially, sociologists will take a look at seven different segments of culture. Uh, what comprises and what makes up a culture? I know it's a little hard to see, so I'll, I'll read it for you. One, and a big element of culture, is art and media. Two is how your culture uh, interacts with economics, the buying and selling of things. Three, language. Social groups, how we all organize. Government systems, customs and traditions, and then, of course, religion. Those seven things are seven aspects and categories uh, to our culture. But those are the things that we see. We see that, you know... um, Uh, Maybe Indian people like spicy food and Italians like food with noodles and cheese and Germans like their root vegetables and their meat. Those are the, the components of culture that you see. But what happens here is culture has such a deep-rooted essence in us that there are a lot of things of culture that we do not see, the unseen. Um, Examples. In most of our cultures in here in the United States, you give someone a good, firm handshake, and that is totally appropriate. But when I was living in Israel, a male does not go up to a female who is an Orthodox Jewish woman and extends his hand. There's something known as Shomer Nagia, observing distance. You don't go up to a female who's an Orthodox Jewish lady and give her a handshake. No way. The same thing that when I went pumpkin picking a month or two ago, we went out to see the Amish, we were hanging out, and it was very clear the Amish lady was kind of making it shown unto me that, you know, you, you do not shake my hand in even thanks. Now, if, you don't, if you're not aware of that, you'd be like, all right, this, this person is, is angry with me. <laughs> I remember one of the classic examples of the unseen uh, was um, I, there was a student that I had that was from, uh, from Asia. When I mean Asia, I mean uh, China. Like her, the, her parents were f- born there. She might have been born there as well. She was living in the United States. And I had to have a conversation with her because she wasn't doing so well on some of the grades, this, that, and the other thing. And I wanted to talk to her about it. I'm talking to her about it. And the whole time, she's like this. Like looking down at the ground. And I'm like, do you see, I really want to help you out with your grades, and these are things that you can do, et cetera, et cetera. And she's looking at the ground. I walk away with it like, wow, that was the most disrespectful thing. I, I'm like trying to help this lady out, this girl out. And she's staring at the ground. Well, later it dawned on me, I'm like, actually in Asian culture, to give respect to an elder, what do you do? You, you do not look them straight in the eyes. 
When I was a kid, my dad's yelling at me. He's like, why aren't you looking at me? Look at me eye to eye. Anyone else have a dad like that? Or mom? How come you're not looking at me? Look at me when I'm talking to you. But in Asian culture, you do not look eye to eye because it's a sign of respect to look away. Okay? So, some of these things are unseen. Some examples, like I said, I'm bringing, creating a foundation for what we're doing these next couple weeks. Um, we as Americans, we believe, and of course we would say rightfully so, although it's not biblical, which is kind of funny, that the best form of government is a democracy. Well, the, the, according to God, it's a theocracy, right? God rules, and you do what he says. That was the original intent. He didn't even want to have a government. He didn't even want to have a king. Like, all what we're hoping for is for Jesus to re- return. You're not going to have a voice and be like, Jesus, I really think that, you know, this is how we should govern, man. The government's going to be upon his shoulders, right? So, biblically, it's a theocracy of God ruling over earth. But the notion of democracy, um, for example, in the Middle East, there are only two countries that have a democracy. One is Israel, and two is Iraq. And Iraq, the only reason why they have a democracy is because we fought 12 years to create one there. And once we left, that democracy started to fall apart. See, there are things that we assume to be absolutely culturally appropriate, which are not always. Uh, For example, it took the West... It took Europeans 600 years of enlightenment, of philosophy, to finally absorb and be ready for democracy. And we go into the Middle East and we say, you guys should do this. You guys should do this. Democracy is the best form. This is the way. It took us 600 years of philosophical writings to get there. Um, Actually, uh, some scholars actually even say uh, that it is Christianity or the belief in Yeshua, belief in Jesus that laid the foundation for democracy. You can't have a democracy unless a brother sees another person as a brother, as a co-equal. And so what we see here is actually where the gospel went forth in the greatest amount of power. What came forth out of that was the power of the gospel, but also the power of democracy. So I'm laying this all out there to talk about our perceptions of culture. So... One of the biggest things that we have is what does our life look like? It's kind of a, a cultural notion. If you can go to the next slide, Sharon. Yeah, right? Let it sink in a little bit if it hasn't sunk in yet. David Greenockle Jr., born in 1980. Year of death, I don't know. But one day, there will be a tombstone in a gravesite with my name on it, unless the Lord returns before that. And they will be sitting there, and my kids will go, and my grandkids will go, and people will go, my loved ones will go, and they will look upon that tombstone. And I'm using this as an illustration because many of us just believe, just believe that our life is a matter of being born which is that little baby all the way off to the left. We grow, we study, we get a job, we get into the middle age, about my age, and then there's like this downturn, right? There's the the peak of your life, and then, you know, you start to get older, you can't do the same things that you did before, then you may become a little elderly, and then you can't, like, quite walk around, and maybe you have to be in a nursing home, maybe you got to do these things like this, and then eventually you're going to pass away and you'll be in the tomb. And you see Jesus face to face, which is pretty awesome. 
Now, I'm being a little morbid with this on purpose because our cultural forays, our cultural norms are like you live and you die and everything of the hyphen is your life. Right? The hyphen in between 1980 and my point of death is everything that I have done in my life. Everything good, everything bad. But everything is comprised in that hyphen. And I want you to like, you know, take a moment. One day, you're going to have that tombstone. I know it sounds so morbid. And there's going to be a hyphen there. And all that matters is that hyphen. At least that's what culture says. How much money have you made? What have you done with your life? This, that, your, all it is, all of your life is summarized into this little hyphen. But that is a cultural perspective of humanity and of the earth. What I'm trying to tell you is culture is so deeply ingrained in you. Everything that you think, everything you believe, everything the way in which and why you think the way that you think is all been formed and shaped because you were born into a certain type of culture. And because you were born into the culture of essentially the sins of Adam and Eve, we have adopted a notion of this life force and this lifetime. But that's not the way it really works. We go to the next slide. There is a kind of life that leads to death, but yet there is a kind of death that leads to life. You see, we wake up every day and we think about the time I was born to the time that I die and everything that's going to happen and how do I prolong my life on planet Earth. Everything is about prolonging the life that you have on planet Earth. Everything is about creating this life on planet Earth to be as pleasurable and as comfortable and as easy and as safe as possible. That is the culture of man. But what I'm trying to convey to you is that the culture of heaven is so much different. But we need to take a look at how we've been brought up and say, wait a minute, how does this line up with the rest of eternity? And so the way that eternity looks at your life is in 1987, David John Greenockle Jr. became born again. And he's got a hyphen to his life at that point, and it goes on for all of eternity. My life did not begin at birth. My life began at death. Death to the flesh. Death to the old way. And raising up a new creation. Now, when I start to think like that culturally, I realize that my life began truly in 1987 at the age of six. And now my life gets to go on forever for all of eternity. Amen? <laughs> I love it. I, we, when we get saved, we receive a new hyphen. We receive a new hyphen. A life that begins at death of the flesh when becoming born again, which now lasts for eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus the Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All things have passed away. All things have become now new. 
Now, what happens here is to adopt this true understanding of life leading to death, but then death really truly leading to life. You have to adopt a new understanding of cultural norms. If we go to the next slide, this is kind of the punchline here. We, we need to forego the culture of Earth, the culture of the West, the culture of Africa, the culture of, of Latinos, the culture of the East, the culture of the Middle East. And what we need to do, I believe, is adopt the understanding of the culture of heaven. Now let that sink in, because that that's like really big words right there. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. By adopting a heavenly mindset or a heavenly uh, notion of culture, it's going to redefine your notion of life. It's going to redefine your notion of beliefs, your values, the way that you think, the interactions that you have with others. It is a radical, radical form of culture. So if we go to the next slide, what is in fact culture? Culture. Culture comes from the, the word cultivate. To prepare or foster the growth of. Meaning culture is something that we make, that we design, that we form. You and I have just had the benefit of the last 300 and something years, or almost 300 years of American culture. We've benefited from the last 2,000 years of Western culture. And we've benefited from the last almost 10,000 years of human culture. But what I'm saying here is that we need to learn how to cultivate and grow which type of culture? The culture of heaven. That's what we need to do. It's what we need to do. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Uh, The next slide, please, so we can see uh, what's going on here. As I told you, there are these seven views of what make up culture. Arts and media, economics, language, social groups government, customs and traditions, and then religion. Um, This kind of breakdown is what sociologists will say is culture, as I said before. Uh, But back in 1975, a teaching started to arise about these seven mountains, if you will. And it started to come back up again uh, not too long ago with Lance Weil now. Um, But what is this? If, If we can go to the next slide. In 1975, uh, Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade, uh, and Lauren Cunningham, who is the founder of YWAM, had a vision from the Lord. And what they believed was that what the Lord was saying is that if we are to impact any nation for Jesus, then we would have to affect the seven spheres of mountains of society that are the pillars of any society. If we want to take the, 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 the kingdom of earth and bring the, kev- the kingdom of heaven upon it, what they were feeling the Lord was saying unto them uh, is that we would need to infiltrate those seven areas of life. That we would have to get a whole bunch of believers uh, that would be in the arts and the media. We would need to have a whole bunch of believers that are in the realm of government. We would have to have a whole bunch of uh, uh, believers that were in every segment of the culture that we have. And it's a good plan. It's a very good plan. Uh, But I feel the Lord was just speaking for us uh, a different message. 
Now, this became a very, very powerful and popular message recently. If you Google it, you'll see a whole bunch. Everyone is talking about, like, we need to take the seven aspects of culture back for Jesus, and we, that's how we change the, the, the world, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's a good message, but I don't think it's a message for us. If you go to, uh, in, in two slides, and if we can have the worship team come on down. I didn't realize that it was going to be this quick today. That's all right. You guys used to 50-minute messages. If I do a 30, you may thank me. I'm not sure. I don't know. I write it down and go to the Lord, and what, what comes out comes out, you know? If you know how I am, once the music gets going, it may go a little longer. Probably will. Oh, Father, I pray right now we just breathe life into this. I feel like right now it's a little bit like too much like infographic kind of commercial. I don't want it to be that way. I didn't want it to come out that way, Lord. So, Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit just to really fall on this and for it to breathe life, life of your Son, life of your purposes on earth. Father, I pray against if this is too cerebral, if this is too mental, if this is too intellectual, Lord. I just pray right now that it just, it just sows into our hearts and our minds for a deeper understanding of, of what you are trying to do in this place and what you're trying to do in these next couple weeks, this next, well, whenever. Sharon, we go to the next one, please. What I thought the Lord was saying is that what we need to do is to affect the culture mountains of society. What do we need to first do? It's a great message. It's a good message. I'm not knocking. It's an awesome message. But how do we do that? I thought the Lord was saying is first what we need to do, which is going to be hard as heck. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be hard. And that is we need to understand how the culture you were born into affects your thinking. We're going to be going up against every belief system, value system, all of the dendrites in your brain, how they have formed, and we're going to question it. And we're going to say, why do you do what you do and why do you believe what you believe? Is it because it's the culture of heaven or is it because it's the culture of the West? Once we understand how our culture has impacted our way of thinking, we now can go to the next stage. And that is, then understand what the culture of heaven is actually saying. Once we grab that and understand, now we can impart the culture of heaven into your life and then to those around you. And I'm believing that this is going to make more sense as we go forward. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not conform yourselves to this world, right? But renew the mind. Do not conform yourselves to the ways of the world, but renew your mind. The renewing of the mind. And essentially, culture is in the mind. We cannot conform to the mindset, a.k.a. the culture of the world. We must renew our mind, which means we must renew our culture inside of us. To adopt the mindset, adopt the culture of heaven. Amen? So how do we do this? One, we have to go to the Lord. We have to go and get our mind renewed each and every day. Because culture is in the mind. We need to adopt the understanding of Philippians 3.20. I am not first an American citizen. I am first a citizen of heaven. 
I am first a citizen of heaven. That is first and foremost. And because I'm a citizen, I am a son of God. And everything else I do must flow out of that. But it's so deeply ingrained that we do things that we don't even know. The fact that we're in rows like this, nice and neat and orderly, is because we come from a Western, Greco, Roman culture. That is why you sit the way that you are sitting right now. If we were in the first century Judea, we know from the synagogues that they didn't have rows, that they had circles. And the speaker would be in the center and everyone would be in a circle because everyone would partake. The fact that you expect me to teach you every week is a reflection of the culture you've been born into. In other cultures, the guy isn't up here saying this all the time. He would be here to kind of organize things like, who has a word? Come up, tell us what you're doing this week, all this kind of stuff. But we can't quite do that because we haven't adopted the culture of heaven yet. We're still adopting the culture of man. He says, oh, you're the one that's studied, you're the one that's learned, blah, blah, blah. You're the one that's supposed to say. That is not the culture of heaven. The fact that you have, not right now, but you have a guitar and a drum, I said, it's all... It's all coming more out of the culture of the Beatles and the culture of heaven. (laughs) Many of our worship sets have more in common with the Beatles than the throne room of God. We need to adopt the culture of heaven. And don't worry, the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us and show us how to do that. So in closing up a little bit, a little taste a little taste of, of what I mean. We go to the last slide. <laughs> God is so good. <laughs> oh, so funny. So, for example, we're going to go through each of these segments. And we're going to learn about them. For example, arts and media. Media. We go to the television for updates on war, updates on news, updates on what to believe, updates on what to wear, updates on what to buy. But Jesus said, Do not listen to the voices of the world, for they will proclaim war, but there will simply be rumors of war. They will proclaim peace, but it will be a false peace. Where do we get our news from? I feel that the Lord is saying, you don't get your news. And you don't get your answers from Fox. Yeah, I said it. You don't get your answers. And you don't listen to the rumors of war and the rumors of coercion and the rumors of gossip from Fox or CNN. You get your media, you get your information, you get your news, you get your reality from the throne room of heaven. If we listen to the news, it's a defeatist ad. If we listen to heaven, we're overcomers ready to change this world. Where do you get your news from? 
as the nations surround Jerusalem and it looks like she's going to be destroyed, the Bible says, the throne room of heaven says, that that's when the Son of Man is going to descend upon earth and set up his kingdom. Economics. Economics is the study, the social science of how civilizations get their needs and wants met through the use of scarce resources. Economics. How do we get our needs and wants met through the use of scarce resources? And so many of us just go through a life running that jam and running that story. How do I get my needs and wants met with only so much money on planet Earth? How many of you have made almost every decision in your life based upon that? Oh, okay. Four of us are honest. Okay. But Jesus says, what profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Economics says that things are scarce. That's why they're valuable. And you've got to do everything you can to get that because it's scarce. But the culture of heaven says that scarcity is a problem of the slave, not that of the son or the daughter. Slaves think in terms of scarce resources, but sons and daughters live in the abundance of the inheritance of God. I thought that was pretty good. Amen. Amen, Dave. All right. I got to, like, like David, speak to my soul. Why are you disquieted within me? Your hope rises up in God. These things are so deep because they dictate everything you do. Oh, where's my next paycheck coming from? I have to get this, and I, I have to go to work, and I need to do this, and I need to do that, and all this kind of stuff. That is the mentality of scarcity. That is the mentality of slaves, not of sons and daughters of the most high God. Language. Scripture says, guard your tongue, because what you speak forth, you shall be judged by, and what you speak forth, you shall release. What you speak forth, you shall release. Whether it's get up little one and rise from the dead, you release that. Or it's like, oh, gossip, you release that. Language is very powerful and it's so nuanced. For example, language, language, language. Oh, boy, it's Sunday. Tomorrow morning, I have to go to work. My buddy Josh was telling me this week, I have to go to work. I have to go to work because I have to pay the bills and I have to do something. How many of us say that? I have to do this. I have to go to work. I have to do the laundry. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. The only people that have to do something are slaves and servants. Sons and daughters of God don't have to do anything except for exalt Him. But what's so powerful is we don't have to, we get to. We're allowed to. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Oh, I have to go to work tomorrow. No, the power of language. I get to go to work tomorrow. And I get to be light in a dying world. I get to be salt onto bitterness. I get to proclaim the power of the gospel. But you see a simple phrase, I have to or I get to. One verb change, I have? No, I'm allowed to. I get to go release the kingdom on, on, the, on the school that I work in. But you see, you see how subtle of a, ah, it is. So subtle. I have to go to work. I have to do the laundry. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that I get to do the laundry. I get to be clean. 
I have a device that I put my clothes in, I hit a button, and they come out clean and smelling fresh. You don't have to do that. You have been blessed amazingly to be able to do that. Social groups, my favorite one. Social groups, organization, me, you, me, them, you, me. I'm the pastor, you're the congregation. You have rich, middle class, poor. You have the workers and the owners. (laughs) But what does the culture of heaven say? Amen. You are all priests before God. As often as you come together, make sure that each of you has a song. Each of you have a song. Each of you have a teaching. Each of you have a word of encouragement. The culture of heaven is we're all equals. We're all priests before God. Not just me. All of us. Customs and traditions, I have no idea. The Holy Spirit will give it to us. I'm believing that. If not, we'll just get, I'll have Pastor Ramon teach that week because I have no idea. (laughs) And the last one, religion. This is going to be the golden calf that we're going to come up against in this place. Uh, I've witnessed a lot of born-again believers that are the most religious, critical, spirited people I've ever met. Because you move in the opposite spirit, brother. But as the worship song says, his smile ruined my religion. His smile ruined my religion. I'm telling you, man, first 20 years of my born again experience and quite recognize the smile of the father but once I did all religion and all religious spirit and all that junk and all that judgment and all that gossip and all that worry and all that ah was ruined his love broke the chains religious chains that I and my culture has put upon myself he has removed (laughs) that religious spirit. But the only way that we'll be able to implement these things, if we purpose in our mind to look critically and lovingly at our culture and say, what has it taught us and has it go up against the culture of heaven? Then we need to understand what is the culture of heaven and then we release it. We release it on earth. But it must begin with us. Why? Because when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this matter, therefore, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And obviously it goes on. The cultural mandate from heaven is so profound that when the disciples ask Yeshua and they ask Jesus, how are we to pray forth the gospel? Like this. Pray that our Father is hallowed on earth, is glorified, is honored. And pray that the kingdom, the culture of heaven comes to earth. That's the Lord's answer to prayer is what we're going to be doing the next couple weeks. Understanding what the kingdom of heaven come to earth really looks like so that we can walk in it. It is so profound that this is how the Lord has told us to pray. And many of us, including myself, have no, understand, have, have no understanding of how that culture has impacted us. So that I can live out the words of the Lord and I do not talk in vain repetition. Let us close in prayer. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we could begin to understand what you desire of us. That you desire of us to release the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Father, I pray that you begin to stir in our hearts a desire not to live. Not to live in the wills and the accordance of men. And live in the accordance and the wills of our culture. But that we will be willing foremost to say, you know what? I have a culture and the culture is of heaven. I am a citizen, a citizen of heaven. And then therefore I need to adopt the culture of heaven. Father, I pray even this week, even this week with the little bit that I've taught on, Father, that we would begin to observe in our life the times and the manners in which we have a choice. Choice to receive the culture of earth or a choice to receive the culture of heaven. And Father, I pray when I wake up tomorrow at 5 o'clock that I don't put my feet on the ground and say, oh, I got to go to work. But that I would say, oh, thank you, Lord. I get to provide for my family. Thank you, Lord. I get a job that I actually do like. Thank you, Lord. And I get to go and be a witness unto the earth. Give us opportunities, even now, to begin to change our mindset with the renewing of our minds to engage heaven through the culture of heaven. Amen. Please feel free to go downstairs. We have some pastries and some coffee if you want to hang out. If you'd like some prayer, uh, we'll be down here to, to pray for some of your needs, if there's anything that you, that you have. Uh, and of course, of course, of course, feel free to stay in the, in, the, in the spirit here, in the spirit of worship. Have a wonderful week. Amen.